Many thanks for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is Dr. James Rudd. I'm the Digital Media Editor at Heart, and I'm delighted to be joined today by Professor Ika Nagel, who leads the Institute for Translational Cardiovascular Imaging in Frankfurt, Germany. And Ika is also a past president of the Society for uh, Cardiac Magnetic Resonance Imaging, the SCMR. And Ika, I was at the recent meeting, the ACC meeting in Chicago, and I was really interested in a study that you discussed there in the late breaking trials section called the MR INFORM study. I, Ika, thanks for joining us on the podcast, and perhaps you could uh, briefly outline the rationale for the study. Yes, thank you for, for this opportunity. So the MR INFORM study is a, an investigator-initiated uh, prospective randomized controlled clinical effectiveness trial connecting imaging and therapy in patients with stable chest pain and an intermediate to high pretest likelihood for coronary artery disease. Or the question we were asking is if it's possible to guide the initial management of patients with intermediate to high risk for coronary artery disease and stable angina um, with MR, magnetic resonance perfusion imaging, and if that is possible, and if that's as safe and as as good as guiding them with invasive angiography plus FFR. The thought behind that is that knowing from um, that in principle we should do OMT in optimal medical therapy in our patients and only move to invasive angiography in, in patients who continue to have chest pain um, and then uh, revascularize them if there's, a, if there's a proof of ischemia. And in, increasingly, uh, a combination of invasive angiography plus FFR um, or, or maybe even CT and FFR is, uh, is used to guide patient management. And what we wanted to find out if we do the patient management by MR perfusion imaging and patients only go to the cath lab if they have a positive MR scan and are then revascularized if they have a, a positive cath, it, um, should be as good um, for the outcome as, as going to the cath lab. Okay, Ike, and these were patients with stable uh, angina, is that correct? They had stable angina, um, CCS2 or 3. They had to have at least two risk factors, um, such as smoking, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, positive family history, or a positive treadmill exercise test. Um, okay. So that places them in, in the at least intermediate to high pretest likelihood for having significant coronary artery disease. Okay, so some guidelines would have suggested going straight to angiography, but you were testing whether a combination of optical medical therapy and an MR perfusion guided approach was basically as good as, uh, as invasive angiography plus FFR. Um, correct, yes. Okay, and how many patients did you enroll in the study, Ika? So we enrolled 918 patients. They were then randomized one-to-one, -one, either in the FFR-informed arm, where they uh, went to invasive angiography. Um, they had FFR if they uh, had a uh, stenosis between 40 and 95%. And then if the FFR was less than 0.8, they were revascularized. Or they were randomized into the MR-informed arm, where they were examined with an adenosine perfusion stress test using 1.5 Tesla MR, um, and then obviously they had CINE imaging and late enhancement imaging. And if a 
significant ischemia was found on the MR perfusion test, then the patient were sent to invasive angiography and uh, revascularized if feasible and if there was a uh, stenosis which uh, fitted to the MR uh, perfusion defect that made sense to, to be revascularized. We then followed up all patients for uh, one year and looked at major cardiac events. And what did you find? Was there a significant difference between the two approaches? There was no, no difference in outcomes between the two groups. The event rate in the FFR-informed arm was 3.9% per year, and in the MR-informed, point, uh, in the MR-informed group, 3.3% per year. Both methods are very safe. Uh, the event rate was low despite having a relatively high risk group of patients there. And uh, there were no differences between the two. Um, the, the, the primary endpoint was a composite endpoint, um, which consisted of all-cause mortality of non-fatal myocardial infarction or re-revascularization of a vessel which already was revascularized during the initial procedure, um, similar to FAME. And if we look at the, at the um, subgroups of, of events, we found one death in the FFR group and four deaths in the MR group. Um, however, if you look at the, at the reason for this patient's dying, in the FFR group, the patient had a positive angio, had then a cabbage plant and died before the cabbage. In the MR group, the two patients had a non-cardiac death. One had a positive MR, positive angio, Again, a cabbage was planned and the patient died before cabbage and one person, one patient died after cabbage. So if you look at those, it, it's not a, a difference you would find clinically relevant. Uh, in both groups, eight patients had myocardial infarction. I think that's very interesting that the rate of infarctions um, did not differ at all between the two. And then the number of re-revascularizations was higher in the FFR group with nine patients versus three in the MR group. Um, and that's probably due to the fact that, in general, the revascularization rate was significantly higher in the FFR group. Um, in the FFR group, 44% of patients were revascularized, whereas only 36% of patients were revascularized in the MR-informed group. Um, and that's statistically significantly different. Um, so the, there is quite a significant reduction of revascularization, if you start with a functional test and then move to the anatomical test rather than when you start with an anatomical test and then move to a functional test as in the FFR-informed side. That's, that's really interesting. And how did you, or how would you summarize perhaps the, the two or three main points of your, of your study? So the, the first important point is that patients can be guided non-invasively with MR perfusion imaging as well as with invasive angiography plus FFR. Second, both tests are highly safe. So the event rate is low for both groups, meaning we're doing the right thing, uh, even in this relatively high risk, risk groups. And third, um, even though we haven't done the economic analysis yet fully, it's clear that um, a non-invasive outpatient MR perfusion test uh, which then leads to fewer revascularizations, um, should be cheaper than having patients uh, going to invasive angiography plus FFR and having more revascularizations. And in, in summary, I would conclude that MR should be, um, should be considered much more frequently 
um, as a, in, in workup of patient with stable angina and, and should in principle become the, gate, the main gatekeeper um, before patient, sending patients to invasive angiography. Uh, that's a that's a fascinating study, Iker, and it's I'm assuming it's not yet published. Is that correct? Is the manuscript in preparation? Yes, yeah, we are we are currently writing up. Okay, uh, I'll certainly put a link to the uh, ACC website where you, where the, the the slides are available, and also to your website uh, in Frankfurt where readers can see the uh, the slides from the ACC talk. And Ica, just to finish off, perhaps we can talk for a couple of minutes about the latest NICE guidelines uh, for the evaluation of stable chest pain. I'm assuming that your data from MR Inform came too late to uh, be featured as part of the NICE guidelines. Uh, do you think this, if it had come earlier, maybe a year before uh, the MR, this very strong MR data, uh, in also uh, to be taken in context with the CE Mark II study, which was again very strongly supportive of an MR guided strategy, do you think that might have changed the guidelines that we see where CT angiography is front and center? To be honest, I was a bit surprised about the NICE guidelines because they take anatomical testing. Um, so much into the core of things and then add CTFFR to get the functional testing done. And I, I don't think that approach is, is really fully supported by, by data, um, even without the MI-informed study. Mm. Clearly, the MI-informed study should make a difference because it's the only comparative effectiveness study which shows that if you combine imaging and therapy, you actually have a, a good outcome of patients. It's not about diagnostic accuracy. It's about how to optimally guide patient management. And I, I think we all understand that based on defer and FAME, um, using FFR improves outcome in comparison to just anatomical testing. And that's also reflected in the NICE guidelines to say you need CT, FFR, um, or uh, a functional test after the CT to, to prove ischemia. Yeah. Um, and if we compare now the, the MI-informed data, we compare the, the non-invasive testing primarily to, to this accepted best approach, invasive angiography plus, plus FFR, and we, we end up with the same outcome. I think this is a very strong argument to, uh, to use uh, MR perfusion imaging as a first-line test. Yep. Um, in, in addition, obviously, there are there are two aspects, or there are actually a couple of aspects which I may want to add to the to the NICE guidelines. Um, first is um, we see quite a few of patients with which, with microvascular disease, and microvascular disease is something we can detect on MR perfusion imaging due to the high spatial resolution of the perfusion test. It's very it's much harder with other other techniques, and we see that these patients. Um, have angina, they, they come back for invasive angiography, not, not regularly, but they have more than, a lot of them have more than one calf in, in their lifetime. And I think it's good to be able to, to tell those patients what their problem actually is, that they do have ischemia, but it's not epicardial. And they uh, also have a good prognosis from that. The second point is um, when, we, when we follow the ALARA principle, the as low as reasonable achievable for radiation, I, I don't think we should restrict that approach to a method by itself. So we should not only try to reduce radiation in the cath lab or during a CT scan, but we should try to reduce radiation in general for a patient. And if we have the ability to 
to do testing without any ionizing radiation in comparison to say CT and FFR as a CT study, then then I think we should offer that. Yeah. So yeah. so I, I'm not convinced that this approach is is the right thing. I, I will also would also think that we we already do too much testing, and if we if we allow or we recommend uh, looking at the coronaries pretty much independent of the pretest likelihood, um, then I think we will do far too much testing. Um, that's also something we see, for example, in the PROMISE trial, where um, the idea in principle was to assess whether functional and anatomical testing is the better way to guide patient management. But if you look at that study, only about 10% of the patients actually have significant coronary artery disease. Um, so we did 90% of patients where we did testing without um, actually having a positive result, which again was different in the MI informed study, where about 50% of patients had a uh, had uh, relevant ischemia. Yeah, certainly it's a it's a controversial area, and we've had a few, and we have a few upcoming editorials and review articles on the new guidelines, and uh, many of the authors make the case for MR and, and nuclear uh, being much more uh, relevant, and as you say. Particularly with MR, the radiation issue is uh, is solved, so it's a it's a very relevant test. I can add one sure. one sentence. Of course, um, that if if you look at the at the new guidelines, they compare heart flow CT FFR with MR perfusion, and they say it has a similar sensitivity and a lower specificity compared to MR, which makes me even more surprised that they don't recommend MR um, as as one of an earlier test there. Yeah, it does seem unusual, but um, I guess your study and CE Mark II, which again is a slightly different study, were maybe too early to be included in the guidelines and, and perhaps and ought to be uh, considered in the next iteration in uh, three or four years' time. So hopefully we'll get there soon. Yes. Yeah, Thank exactly. You. Thank you very much, uh, Professor Eichenagel, for, for joining us on this episode of the Heart Podcast. Thank you, James.